Morning, church. You know, for us, for us modern day 21st century Christians, all of the joy of the resurrection pours out on Easter morning. We know the tomb is empty. We have heard the testimony of the angels. We have seen Mary meet the Lord in the garden outside the tomb. But it, but it wasn't quite like that for the disciples. They saw Jesus hung on a cross on Friday, and there he died. And they were in a hurry to get his body into the tomb because the Sabbath was coming around. So that's why the, the soldiers kind of prematurely killed the other thieves, and Jesus was already dead. That way they could get them buried before the start of the Sabbath. Which means that Saturday was kind of a weird day. It was a day of quiet mourning, you know, but it was also safe. At least they could be relatively sure that the Jewish leaders wouldn't come after them on Saturday because it was the Sabbath. But they would be coming eventually, make no mistake about it, which means that come Sunday, all bets are off. Now, if you're one of the disciples, you would probably have heard Peter and John's testimony. But Peter and John didn't see Christ. They saw an empty tomb. They hadn't seen the risen Lord yet. And as I said last week, the the empty tomb is an argument from silence. Jesus' body could be anywhere. Now, of course, they probably heard Mary's account too. But then, like, how reliable is that? I mean, she didn't even recognize him at first. Maybe she's just a bit unstable. I mean, who could blame her, right? Aren't aren't all of the disciples a bit unstable after witnessing that horrifying crucifixion and knowing that they could be next? What they could be sure of is that the Jewish rulers got to Jesus and they'd be coming for the disciples next. So what did they do? They gathered together and hid and locked the door and waited. Now that had to be a rough day. All that Easter Sunday... Nine disciples trying to sort out whether they dared to believe Mary's story. If not, I mean, their days are numbered. Any minute now, guards might be at the door. And if Jesus really is alive, then what? Where is he? And what are they supposed to do? Maybe their part in the story is already over. So they hide, lock the doors, and wait. Mary, Peter, and John went to the tomb early in the day. So these people have been hiding out, and the sun is climbing higher in the sky. No, Jesus. The sun dips down below the horizon. Still, no, Jesus. 
Thomas heads out for something. I don't know what. Maybe a food run. Who knows? But now there's one more thing to worry about because Thomas is out there. So everybody's listening for a rapping on the door. And if it comes, what will it mean? Will it be Thomas safely returning? Or will it be soldiers? Or maybe Jesus will show up. Who could dare to hope such a thing? You can kind of picture, right? That whole party staring at the door in a mixture of terrible anxiety and tiny quivering hope. Silent staring. And then a voice from behind them. Peace be with you. Ah! (laughs) Who said that, right? Like the disciples, I I imagine the disciples about jumped out of their skin. All that tension and build up, and then poof. Jesus is just in the room with them. Somehow. But people don't do that, right? So maybe. Maybe he's a ghost. That's what the disciples think at first. And that would make a certain kind of sense. So Jesus shows them his pierced hands and sighed, and he invites them to touch him. And in one of the other Gospels, we read that Jesus said, you guys have anything to eat? He sat down and ate with them. And if you need proof that he's flesh and blood, I mean, touching and eating, that's, that's pretty good proof. This is no ghost. This was the real Jesus in the flesh. Jesus who had been crucified, died, and was buried. And somehow, here he sat among them having Sunday dinner. And he says to them a second time, Peace be with you. And it was with them. John writes that when he said that, the the, the disciples were glad at seeing him. But the peace that he had offered wasn't peace for that moment. It was peace for the road ahead. Because Jesus, in the same breath, goes on to say, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven them. Now that's a strange benediction. Those are strange marching orders. But it makes sense, or it helps us make sense out of what Jesus meant when he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Have you thought about what those words are supposed to mean? Well, think about how Jesus was sent. Think about what Jesus was equipped with when he was sent from the Father. Um, This is the participatory part of the sermon. Did Jesus have a big fat bank account? Public relations team? Was he born into power and privilege? Guys, he didn't even come from a big city. He came from a backwater little podunk rural town. Not that there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) 
But my point here is it's not the kind of place you expect a very big, important person to come from. He didn't have those things, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was sent on a mission to reconcile the world to God. And he was given the incredible authority to forgive sins. And when you, when you read through the story of Jesus' life, people aren't all that upset about Jesus when he does miraculous healings. But Jesus frequently, before he does the healing, will say, your sins are forgiven. And that gets him in a lot of trouble with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He goes around forgiving people. And all, who can do that? That's, a, that's God's authority, man. How dare you? And then Jesus will say something like, how dare I? Well, just so you understand that I do have the authority to forgive him, rise up and walk. The miracles substantiated the power to forgive. Now, (laughs) it's an audacious claim to make if you don't have the right to forgive sins. But if you do have the right, if you do have the authority then there is a tremendous burden on you to actually do it. And then Jesus, nearing the completion of his earthly ministry, he passes that authority on. He passes on that right and that burden to his disciples. They were sent by Jesus the way Jesus was sent by the Father full of the Holy Spirit, on a mission to forgive sins. It seems to me that many of us misunderstand the gift of the Holy Spirit. We behave as if he is our own personal resource to give us a nudge every once in a while so we don't fall too far off the track. And, you know, it's true. The the Holy Spirit is indeed the counselor who lives inside of you. Yes, he is actively cultivating and protecting your faith. But his domain is bigger than that. You were not given the Holy Spirit purely for your own benefit. You have received him so that you can reveal the kingdom of God in your own zip code. You are meant to be the tip of the spear of God's grace, piercing the darkness of this world with his mercy, with his grace, with his forgiveness. And the incredible thing is that forgiveness was put into the hands of sinners like you and me. Maybe that makes it a little bit easier for us to be understanding of the sins of others. I don't know. But it's what God chose to do. And and what that means is that now when you speak to those broken by sin, you don't have to speak to them hypothetically about how someone can be forgiven. We can be forgivers. I know that rubs some of us the wrong way. But I don't know how else you read the words of Jesus. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are 
forgiven them. Maybe, maybe the reason that we have such trouble with this is that we don't live in a culture of forgiveness. And um, a big part of that is a refusal to admit that sin really exists. I'm not speaking, um, I'm not speaking hyperbolically. I'm not exaggerating. What I mean is we all kind of struggle with this, I think. I struggle with this, even as a pastor. But I'm trying to improve. Right? I'm trying to be conscious of it. Someone will apologize for something. Right? Maybe it's small. Maybe it's not. What are the words we usually use to respond? It, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. No big deal. Those words are lies. See, you, you may notice that those words lack the very thing that we've been called to do. And part of that is the way we apologize, right? When we apologize, we often give reasons why it happened so that the offense doesn't seem so bad. You know, I'm sorry I did that, but I, I really didn't mean to. You know, it's just that I... And we try and talk it through until we can make the sin seem smaller and smaller and smaller until it's small enough that we can both agree to just not fuss over it. Well, that's the goal, at least. But sin doesn't work that way, and it doesn't take the sin away. It just asks us both to, I don't know, kind of not look at it and just live with it. But wouldn't it be better to actually remove the sin? The Holy Spirit inside you can face a sin of any size. And it doesn't have to try and rationalize it or shrink it down. It can look honestly at the hurt that was caused and the damage, and it can look through it and see the imperfect person on the other side and love that person. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, it's okay, because it's not okay. It doesn't say no big deal because it is a big deal. Instead, the Holy Spirit faces the sin and loves the sinner and says words that you almost never hear in our culture anymore. I forgive you. And he means it. Guys, that's the mission. And I want you to get comfortable saying those words because those words are life to the dying and they're light to those living in shadows. You have received the Holy Spirit and this authority for this mission. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, not by your power, but by God's. It's an incredible responsibility to bear, and it's an incredible gift to give. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that you have decided to include us in your work of grace and forgiveness. You have put in our hands this gift of forgiveness. And not just, you know, 
not just that we can make it right between us, but, but that by offering that forgiveness, the sin is actually dealt with. We ask, Lord, that you'll help us to be humble in our repentance and maybe bold enough to ask for forgiveness when what somebody wants to offer is excusal. We ask that you give us the humility and the boldness to offer forgiveness. Maybe sometimes even if it's not asked for. Grow us to be more like you. Fill us more and more with your spirit and help us to be sensitive to his, to his guidance and emboldened by his power. All these things we pray in your most powerful name. Amen. My friends, why don't you